0: area that formed it and then there were five of these porticos or porches that where people would lay who were sick and lame and as we read about today. That's, that's what he discovered right there at the bottom of the, the pools is, an, is, a, is a place where the spring would come up and feed these pools and then would, would an underground spring. And so they, this, this is important later on when you read about it because it's very possible that when these springs would energize and rise up, along with the silt and everything, it caused a bubbling of the water and may have helped with the superstition and tradition that uh, John refers to here. And I'll talk about that in just a second. As you go on, I, do I have another picture? Yeah, this is what you see today when you stand up on the railings and look down into the pool. I think I have another one like that. And there's another part of the column. You see, that's the first one I took. And there's the other column there. So here's the story. Let's just talk about the story. Jesus travels. Remember where he was last week? He's up in his hometown, right? He's up in in Galilee. He's up near Nazareth, up in Canaan. And he comes down to Jerusalem. From that area to Jerusalem is 50 or 60 miles. So it's a good trip. And he comes down because of a feast. Uh, We don't know which feast it was, but Jesus was uh, obviously participating in the Jewish feasts as required for all Jews in the Old Testament. So people went to this uh, pool. Supposedly, these superstitions all said that if you came to the pool and you, you were there when the angel cause the troubling of the water then if you got to the pool first then you could be healed if if you some of you in your version if you look at chapter 15 I mean chapter 5 and if you look at verse 3 if you have a king james version you'll see that this is included if you have other versions such as the NIV or the NLT or many others you'll find that it's not included but let me read for you look at verse 3 if you include this passage, here's what it would say. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now, right here, we would add in, and they waited for the moving of the waters, verse 4. That's why some of you have it skipped from verse 3 to verse 5 in your version. And the angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters, the first one into the pool, after each uh, such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. Many manuscripts don't include this. So was well, that a problem? Well, no, I mean, it, it, to me, it's, it, and to people a lot smarter than me, to Bible scholars, you, many people believe that it was added to explain the superstition and the tradition that was there. And so that's why you have some, the Textus Receptus may have it, and this other manuscript may not have it, and so on. But um, the people do believe, scholars believe, that the surge was actually caused by this underground spring. And it was probably more mind over matter than it was anything. I don't know. It wasn't around then, and neither were they, so nobody really knows. We'll know in heaven. Uh, and I'm not going to worry about it. When they dug up, I thought it was interesting, though. When they dug up this site... And they started uncovering, they found all these co- coins. And they found a coin, a lot of the coins, with the picture of Asclepius. Now Asclepius was a sharp guy. I mean, is he a handsome dude? Uh, now Asclepius uh, was one of the Greek gods. You see, they, they continued, the Romans took over from who? Do you remember? The Greeks, the Greeks. all right. So you have the Greek empire, Roman empire. And, but there was a lot of Greeks' uh, culture, which they called Hellenization, that was still prevalent in the area. And so, the therefore, they they still had some Greek gods that they trusted in. And one of them was this uh, handsome man here, Asclepius. As a matter of fact, you see the snake curled up around the pole and everything like that. That looks familiar, doesn't it? It looks like what we have when uh, you see the Hippocratic Oath or other things that are advertised from the field of medicine. You'll see that and that is what it goes back to. When they were uncovering this, what I found to be fascinating is they found some hospitals. The hospital's a little different uh, than the one you work in, Tammy. If your hospital worked this way, you would have a little bit different uh, ratings uh, (laughs) than you have. Let me tell you why, let me tell you why, as would any hospital. Because then to go to the hospital, and uh, and let's say uh, let's say Mike's uh, the priest. I don't want to use your imagination. Uh, <laughs> Mike's the priest. So I come in to Mike and say, Mike, I'm sick. You know, what Mike would ask me, He'd said, What's wrong with you? And and I would say, Well, I have this uh, I have this uh, little scratch on my hand, and it hasn't gotten well. He'd look at it, and he'd say, Okay, you come in. Then uh, another guy comes in and says, Mike, I'm I, I'm sick. What's wrong? He said, Well, I've had a I've had a terrible fever. For the last two weeks, I've lost 20 pounds, my hair's falling out, my teeth are falling out, and I feel horrible, and they had to carry me here. You know what Mike say? He would say, sorry, you can't get in. <laughs> All right? The reason being, you had to interview to get in. If they thought that there wasn't, pregnant women could not get in, because pregnancy was such high risk at that time, and many, many, many died in pregnancy. So, Tammy, what you would do today as you you sign people in, you'd you'd make the decision, you'd be the priest uh, over at Presbyterian, and you would say, I don't think this one's going to get well. You can't come in. That's the way it worked. And so um, where'd they go? He said, well, uh, we want to protect the reputation of this dude. So they wouldn't let you come in. Amazing, isn't it? Now, So the people went to the pool of Bethesda if they had no hope. They go to the pool of Bethesda, and guess what? The great physician comes in. He doesn't require an interview. He just goes over and says, want to be well? It's a little different approach than what they had that day. Because this God can heal and accepts anyone. So the story falls into four acts. Let's take act number one. Start verse one with me. And I will include that part of this, uh, uh, verse three and verse four just so that you will see the, it'll, it helps with the flow of the story. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, which is now St. Stephen's Gate. All right, That's what it's called, St. Stephen's Gate. A pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five co- covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lay the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and this is the added piece. And they waited for the moving the waters from time to time. An angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. Uh, see, you see, there's it's a it's a com- combination of superstition, tradition, and they even throw the Lord in there, so that they try to get they cover all bases, right? He said, the first one in the pool after such a disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I love the question. Do you want to get well? Cuts right to the point, doesn't he? These guys have no interest in anything else, nothing. Do you want to get well? He said, sir, the invalid replied, in such a pitiful statement. I have no one. I have no one to help me. Into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. So here we have a man that's been an invalid for 38 years and can't get into the pool. Did you know 38 years was, the, was, was longer than the average life expectancy at that time? So he's already, he's had a lifetime of infirmity. Then he encounters Jesus. There's going to be two groups today that encounter Jesus. That's what this story's about. Most of John's discussions and stories are all about encounters with Jesus. When the man paralyzed encountered Jesus, there was no preaching, there were no lectures on grace. He just looked at because when you're when you're desperate, you don't need more knowledge, you need compassion. And that's what Jesus brought. Jesus brought compassion to this story. And the fact that Jesus healed this man revealed that God's kindness is available. Not only to the swift, but to everyone. And, and I think the, the truth of this encounter is that when your desperation level reaches a point where pride doesn't matter anymore, that's when the great physician can help. That's when you're ready. What What I find out in this story, does he say, look at the story, does he say, you have such great faith. I'm going to heal you. Is that what he says? Is there any indication of faith in this story, verbally? Any? No. No. None. And I, again, what does that? How does that, What does that point out to to you? That where does it? Where does help come from? It comes from Jesus. Does it come from what you muster up? And so this guy has been laying there for 38 years. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? Why did he ask that question? I'm asking you. Again, not a rhetorical question. Why why did Jesus say, do you want to get well? What do you think? I I don't know. There's no wrong answer here, so. (laughs) Why did he say that? Anybody know? Because he, in order for him to believe. To help him believe? To help him believe. All right. That's good. Anybody else have an idea? Yeah. He had given up <coughs> all hope of getting well. All right. He'd given up all hope. That's good. But he was there. He was there. He was there, but he said, I have nobody. He'd been there 38 years, Right. I'd sort of give up hope. <laughs> the reason I, I... Yes, ma'am? Sometimes we don't want to get one. Well. Ah, okay. Okay. All right. I'm not sure this is right, but I'm thinking all of these things, but my notes actually say what you say. So I'm gonna use, I'm gonna run with that. <laughs> when you ask a question, you always find that somebody probably gives you, gives you a better answer than you had. That's the danger, but uh, that's okay. It, it, I think many, many times when we go to people and we try to talk to them about the Lord. And we, we, we try to help them. Some of our folks and some of our relatives, some of our friends, some of our neighbors, people we meet in stores and restaurants and places of business. And we ask them that question spiritually, do you want to get well? And many times, yeah, I don't really need to get well. I'm not too, I'm not too bad of shape right now. That's part of the process of a person coming to Christ. They, before you need a Savior, you've got to know you're sick. I was talking to someone who was this morning about going to the doctor. And guys are notorious about, I'm okay, I don't need to go to the doctor. And it really stems back when we were little and all of us guys were scared to death to go to the doctor because we were going to get a shot. <laughs> but, you know, we don't, I, I'm okay. I'm okay. I, I, okay, this thing has grown to the size of a marble on my arm and it's turned 97 different colors and it's got every... Uh, it's okay. It's okay. I'll just rub it off. I, I, why? Because well, yeah, yeah, I don't want to mess with it. And some people don't want to mess with it when you come, you come and talk to them. That's why Jesus... I think that's why Jesus said, Do you want to get well? You, are you serious about getting some help for your condition? And you know, people cannot come to Christ until they get serious about their need. And well, we can help them with that. And sometimes it's a process. It takes a long time for people to get to a spot where they say, man, I need to get well. And maybe it's some addiction that, they, that a person has and they keep, they really don't want to get well. So, well, why don't you go to AA? Or why don't you go here? Or why don't you go there and do this? And they go, yeah, yeah, that would be good. I really need to. But they really don't want to be helped because they still like it. So, this guy, Jesus said, do you want to get well? And he said, the saddest thing I think I've ever heard. He said, I have no one to help me. That's the exact thing that came to my mind the first time Sally and I went to Piedras Negras. And we went into where they were bringing out the wheelchair. Some of you will experience this. You know, they don't get a wheelchair. Unless they get it with their own money. Because there's no help there from, there is no, like, Medicare is going to come in and give you a wheelchair. And so some of the people come in, they have their 10-year-old girl and they're carrying them. And I looked at them, I said, why don't they have a nice wheelchair? I don't have anyone. That's why we're going. Because physically, we can help them. And then spiritually, we want to be the someone that can help them too and say, here, this will help you. You'll be able to, your, your mother will be able to push you now into the supermarket. But you know what? Let me tell you about the person who can help you forever. So that's the opportunity. That's what happened here. Let's go to Act 2. The day, verse 9, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Okay, underline that. Big, big word. Big time. <laughs> Our big important thing is going to happen. Underline that word. <clears throat> so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The Lord forbids you to carry your mat. What a bunch of nice guys. (laughs) The Lord forbids you to carry your mat. Yeah, I think we would have had some nice words for that in response. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed, had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Jesus healed him on the Sabbath, or what is known, does anybody know what the, what they call it in Israel? Shabbat? You knew, didn't you? <laughs> we, we heard it a thousand times while we were there. Today is Shabbat. That means nothing happens. That means you get nothing on Shabbat that you would like to have as far as eating. But Jesus healed him on the Sabbath, which appears to be purposeful. Uh, I think Jesus clearly wanted to illustrate a point. He did it several times. The Sabbath, or Shabbat, it actually means to cease. To cease, to stop, to cease. So God gave us, uh, he set aside this ceasing time. The ceasing time was meant to be a perpetual gift commemorating the creation when God ceased creating on the seventh day. That's what the purpose of Shabbat, the Sabbath, really was all about. By the time, though, that Jesus came along, the Pharisees had turned it into a very heavy burden. And it still goes today. I'll read you about something in just a moment. Here, they added a long list of prohibitions to the Sabbath. Here's what they are. Here's what the Pharisees added to the list. No carrying, no burning, extinguishing, finishing, writing, erasing, cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, uh, untying. That's a weird looking word, isn't it? Uh, Shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, sifting, grinding, kneading, second verse, uh, combining, spinning, dyeing, chain stitching, warping, weaving, unraveling, building, demolishing, trapping, shearing, slaughtering, skinning, tanning, smoothing, and marking. That was added. None of that's in the Bible. (laughs) Just added to, that's tradition that they had added. Now, let me read you one other thing. When we were there, in, in the Holy Land. We went to the, on Saturday, on the Sabbath, it, they have elevators and then they have what they call Shabbat elevators. You do not want to get on a Shabbat elevator on Saturday. <laughs> Why? Because they're programmed to stop at every floor. You get on, you stop, you go to the second floor, you go to the third floor. Why? Why do you think it's programmed to stop on every floor? You don't have to work. You like to push the button now. I know, ha ha, laugh. It's hilarious to me. They're serious. Listen, that's all of that adding to what the Sabbath was all about. The, the Sabbath was a time to cease, a permission, a gift to cease working, so that you can do what? You can worship and be with your family and feast, actually, and enjoy. I like the feast part, don't you? And um, <laughs> so you can enjoy being with one another. All right, listen. This is this is today. This is listed in a book by Rav Reshoah Neuwirth entitled Shemaroth Shabbat, A Guide to the Practical Observation of Shabbat. Number one, cooking in almost all forms, boiling, roasting, baking, frying, etc., is forbidden on the Sabbath in particular when the temperature is raised above 45 degrees centigrade, 113 Fahrenheit. Number two, if the hot water tap is accidentally left on, it cannot be turned off on the Sabbath. Number three, escaping gas can be turned off, but not in the normal way. One must turn off the tap of a gas burner with the back of the hand of the elbow or the elbow. The preparation of food is greatly affected by the Sabbath. One cannot squeeze a lemon into a glass of iced tea, but one can squeeze lemon on a piece of fish. (laughs) I didn't write this. You can't make this up. (laughs) Number five, that one cannot light a fire on the Sabbath is taught the Old Testament law. True. Strict Judaism views this to prohibit turning electric lights on or off on the Sabbath. The problem can be solved, however, by using a timer, which automatically handles this task. Ergo, the elevator problem. Number six, so too an air conditioner cannot be turned on by a Jew on the Sabbath, although a Gentile may be persuaded to do so. <laughs> Isn't that convenient, right? Number seven, one cannot bathe the bar of soap on the Sabbath, but liquid detergent is okay. This is real, and this, is, this, was, this was very, very serious. Now, you get the picture of what Jesus has walked into? And why he chose to do it on the Sabbath, I think I understand them. What really jumps out at you, the scripture, is they did not celebrate the healing. They did not even mention that. They want to know, who told you to do this, pick up your mat and walk on the Sabbath? Here's what, let's make it real to us. You live next door to your neighbor, Joe. And Joe has been paralyzed from the neck down for over 30 years. He's your next-door neighbor. One Saturday night, or early, early Sunday morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, you're awakened out of a deep, deep sleep. And it's by a lawnmower, which none of us like to have happen. So you hear this lawnmower, and it's making all kinds of racket. And you think, who in the world is doing that? And you run outside to look and see who at 6 o'clock in the morning is mowing their lawn. And it's Terry Allen. No, it's not. (laughs) He likes to mow lawns, I think. So you run out there, and it's your neighbor, Joe. He's been paralyzed for over 30 years. What does every normal person do at that point? Huh? Joe, what happened? What happened? You're healed. Tell me the story. What do the Pharisees do? Shut that lawnmower off. I need to get some sleep. Goes back into the house. That's what happened here. That's exactly what happened. Now, it, it's all about this nasty word, legalism. And I'm not, I could do a whole lesson on legalism. I know I could do a whole lesson just about anything. But... It, it, <laughs> Let me just read something for you that, I, that, I, that will define it real quickly. What is legalism? This is from uh, my favorite uh, Bible commentator, Chuck Swindoll. Legalism is the establishment of standards carefully selected by people for the purpose of celebrating human achievement under the guise of pleasing God. That's what it's all about. Legalism is righteousness as defined by humans who frequently cite God as the source of the standard. Legalism is based on lists. If you do keep every item on the list of do's and don'ts, you're deemed spiritually acceptable. But if you don't follow the prescribed standard, you are judged unworthy of God's favor and others' approval. And here's the crux of the matter. Here's what this story is about. Legalism denies god 's grace and presumes to earn his favor through deeds. It is a man made righteousness that exalts humanity rather than the lord and They were here saying, well hes not, I, I, I don't know what about I could care less about your healing we have We have broken god 's law when when they had they broke their law, and because of that it it challenged their authority because You know what they hated? You know what the Pharisees hated? One word. Grace. A Pharisee, and sometimes when we get a Pharisaical attitude, I know you never do that. I do once in a while. It's because we have a problem with grace. All right. The last two acts are short, okay? Act 3, verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. He found him at the right place. You know the temple, that's what you're supposed to do. Then he says something interesting. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, this is not a... Somebody look at John chapter 9 real quick. Turn to John chapter 9. I'm going to have you read one verse in a minute. It does not mean that there is a cause-effect relationship, sin-suffering. And at one time, I promise you, everybody in this room has felt that way, because you say, "Oh, this is the reason I'm hurting. God's getting me because I did this." John chapter three. Somebody read John chapter three nine. I'm sorry, John chapter nine, verse three. With a man born blind, they ask him a question: Who sinned, the mother, the father, or the man? What does it say in verse three? Chapter nine. Somebody read it. Anybody? Okay, read it. Either this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. Jesus, but this happened so that he, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This man did not lay here for 38 years because he sinned. But Jesus is saying, Hey, look, stop sinning, or something worse. I think that's the key. Worse, something worse is going to happen. Now, what does he mean, worse? Jesus saved the man from physical suffering, right? And I think now he's trying to save him from eternal suffering. See, we've got the physical part right. Let's get the spiritual part right. Act 4, we close in verse 15 through uh, 18. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Uh, I could spend some time on, on what that went away means went away if you look at other place it means to go after with a purpose. And so I'm not sure if this guy ever turned away after he was healed or not. We're not told, but it's actually the same thing when it you it's used for discipleship. So it could mean that he went to the back to the Jews and you know he wanted to be right with them, make sure that's okay because if I'm okay with them then I'm, you know, I could still do well in society, but so Jesus, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, which means he did this more than once, right? (laughs) He was doing these things on the Sabbath. Verse 17, Jesus said to him, my father is always working at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself what? Equal with God. Now, he's saying, well, you know, I'm working. My father's working. That even on the Sabbath day, God's love and compassion keeps working. And I'm doing the same thing that my father's doing. I'm doing my father. I'm doing, I'm being, work of compassion. I am helping someone. I'm trying to restore people. You're focusing on the wrong thing. And they said they sought to kill him. That's how important the deity of Christ was to these guys around there that day. It was so important that he was claiming to be equal with God because of his statements that they said, we're going to kill you. They just could not accept grace. Because Jesus came to restore broken relationships between man and God. He, he came to establish true worship, and they couldn't get it because they could not get grace. Two things. We actually have two encounters, right? We have the encounter of the man who was sick for 38 years. And could not. What kind of a place of great house of grace was that? When only the people who who had the the people who had the worst disease could never get in the pool, right? Do you ever think about that? The guys who are lame, the blind, the paralyzed, they needed the most. The people who have sniffles. They can jump in the pool because they're swift. But this guy had an encounter with Jesus, and this encounter. He was miraculously healed by grace. The others are unchanged because they deny grace. That's the difference in the encounter. And that's true of every encounter, every encounter. When you meet Jesus, when you encounter Jesus, you're either helped and changed by His grace or you deny His grace and you go on unhelped. What a great story. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, insight into what it means to encounter our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for grace that you sought us out, that you ask us, do you need help? Thank you that you don't just go to those who are swift, but those who need help.